Good morning to all of you here, and good morning to those of you watching online as well. Um, thank you. <laughs> Uh, so, uh, one of the things, a couple of things that I just wanted to comment on that. One is, if you're on a meal team, that means you are providing a meal uh, about six times a year. Uh, so, uh, it's not like being on the meal team means you're, you're providing a meal every week. A meal is being provided, but by your team. Some people do it once a month, but kind of the standard is to come in and do it every couple of months. Uh, this is a vision for foster families uh, across our entire county and beyond. So this is not just for foster families uh, at Five Oaks, and you can participate in that. And uh, I was talking to Julie, who's uh, you know over this ministry and started this ministry, and she was talking about one of the foster moms that she knows who gets meals. She goes, it's not like I need the meal. She said, but I need the personal contact. And that's why we don't just throw money at this. This is an opportunity to be face-to-face -face in ministry with people. So uh, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Romans chapter 8. And so uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the seat rack in front of you. If you're at home, hopefully you can go run, run grab a Bible. If you're using a tablet or smartphone, we are using the NIV, the New International Version. And so we're in week six of our series on gospel resilience. It's really a series on Romans 5 through 8. By the time we're done, we'll have done four series through the book of Romans, covering all the chapters in Romans. It'll take uh, several months, and has taken several months already. Uh, but we're, we're drawing to the end of this, of this series. Uh, and before we jump into the passage, however, we're going to ask God, as we do every week, God the Holy Spirit, to illuminate His Word and empower it, um, empower us to do His Word. And this, uh, this prayer is based on Psalm 119. So please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we look to your word, we ask that your Holy Spirit would lead us. Open our ears to listen for what we need to hear. Open our eyes to see what you want us to see. Open our minds to comprehend what it is that we should understand. And open our hearts to the work of your Spirit in us and around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just before COVID, uh, early uh, 2020, January, early February, uh, an author, Sarah Eckhoff, she is a co-author of a book called Gospel Bound, Gospel Bound. and she, was, uh, she recounts in that book a conference for Asian Christians that she went to in Kuala Lumpur. And she said she was sitting with... Uh, Asian Christians from all over, all over Asia, and specifically she said she just was watching those who were from China, given the amount of pressures that they're experiencing right now and have been experiencing for a while in China. One of the leaders who leads a, a bunch of house churches, one of the house church leaders in China, was talking about some of the greatest threats to the church in China. And he said the greatest threat to the church in China is not the church closings that are happening. He said it's not pastors being put in prison. He said the greatest threat is money. It's affluence. And it's a secularism, he said, that has the mindset that this is our permanent 
residence. That this earth is what, where it all is and where it's all going all to end. And then he added this. He said, when tension eases between your earthly identity and your heavenly identity, that's the biggest threat. Persecution helps keep that tension. Even cancer tells you that earth is not your home. Hardship reveals reality that we are bound for another home, for another life. It's really difficult to keep that tension. There should be a tension. There is a tension between our earthly identity and our eternal identity. And it is more difficult the more affluent we are to keep that, eye, that, that tension alive. Uh, and so uh, we've been talking in this series about some of the things that lead to uh, people abandoning their faith and what leads to a resilient faith because that's the subject of Romans 5 through 8. It's about assurance of our faith, about making it to the end and what happens to help us make it all the way to the end. But there's been a huge exodus in the church. Survey after survey after survey suggests this, uh, not suggests it shows this. I think most of us experience it as well. This exodus from the church, especially amongst the next generation. So this series has been asking the question, what makes for resilient faith, in, especially with all the headwinds that we face, some of them in our culture, some of them having to do with suffering that we experience, doubts and questions that we have, deep, deep questions that we have, disappointment with Christians or with the church or even with God, uh, the struggles that we have with temptation and yielding to temptation, the times that we have misplaced confidence in people, in churches, in ourselves, in religion, a persecution that we might uh, experience and satanic attacks. How is it that we can have a resilient faith in the face of all those forces that are in our world? Well, the message of Romans 5 through 8 is that a, uh, that a tested faith, and all those ways are the ways that our faith is tested, that remains resilient is made possible by God and only by God and His power alone. But we have a role, and our role is to cooperate uh, with him when we are tested. Uh, we're going to spend three weeks now finishing off this series. So we're going to spend three weeks in the last half of Romans chapter 8, uh, where the Apostle Paul brings together all the things he's been talking about from chapter 5 to this amazing conclusion, this amazing crescendo that has earned this chapter. It's these verses from verses uh, about 18 to the end of the chapter. It's these verses that earned this chapter uh, the greatest chapter ever written. There's nothing like it in Paul, and uh, a lot of people call it the greatest chapter ever written, not by just the Apostle Paul, but ever written by any, um, any hand. Too often we fail to keep, though, the full picture in mind of what Paul is talking about here, and we miss the message. And part of the reason is we, we miss the big picture of what Paul is talking about, and we individualize what Paul is talking about. We make it about us. So this chapter is filled with really personal words that we ought to take to heart. 
but the words are weakened when we come to this passage with a kind of what's in it for me and we narrow it down to what's in it for us and for our salvation. We miss the grandeur of what Paul is talking about here, the big picture, God's future plans. We oftentimes miss that. So today we're looking at 18 through 25. 18 through 25 sets up this soaring passage that comes uh, at the end, beginning at about verse uh, 31 or so. It sets the context for that. And one of the things that happens in the verses we're looking at today, it returns to a theme that we introduced and talked about and that Paul introduced back in the opening verses of Romans chapter 5. I said back then that this is like you know a sandwich. We're going to get it here. We're going to get it at the end as well. And the three big themes that come through in both 5 and in 8 are the themes of hope and glory and suffering. He's going to fill in much more than references that he makes in chapter 5. He's going to expand on those to a great degree. Uh, So it all starts with a comparison that Paul calls us to make. So look at verse 18 where it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. All right, so the Apostle Paul is, is um, talking about that suffering again. He's, re- and he's going back into that subject that he talked about earlier in chapter 5. And by suffering, he's really speaking in broad terms. He's, he's talking about suffering from illness, from, uh, uh, from family breakdown, uh, emotional suffering, persecution, all kinds of suffering. Uh, N.T. Wright has this translation of, of that verse says, this is how I work it out. The sufferings, so that's the Apostle Paul talking. This is how I work it out. The sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting on the scale alongside the glory that is going to be unveiled for us. Now, when someone says, you cannot compare, this is so great, you can't compare it. It's an invitation to compare, right? It's just saying that it's, it's not going to come out fair. It's really not going to be fair. And that's what he's saying here. All right, two more things before uh, we, we jump in and hear the passage. Uh, one is just a reminder that we talked about several weeks ago, and if you weren't here, the word hope is in this passage six times, and again, it was prominent in the opening in chapter five of Romans chapter five of this whole section in Romans. The word hope doesn't mean the same thing as it means in English in the Bible. I'm not quite sure why we keep translating it that way, but we do. We use the word hope for for that. Okay, so the difference is, the analogy that I gave before, is the difference between asking your parents, can we go to Disney World this year, and them saying, maybe, and now you hope that you're going to go, all right? The difference between that, that's our understanding of hope. In the biblical understanding, Hope is used for that feeling once your parents say, we've bought all the tickets and we're boarding a plane on such and such date. That's the kind of, we don't use hope for that. We talk about anticipation, we talk about expectancy, excitement, that kind of a thing. When the Bible uses hope, 
In these kinds of contexts, when Paul uses hope, he's talking about that second, more expectancy. So it's, it's a confident anticipation. Uh, and in chapter 5, the, the hope, that confident anticipation is about the glory that is coming, a glory that is coming at the return of Christ. What that glory is all about is going to be expanded a little bit for us in this passage. So that's one of the things as we listen to the passage, remember what hope means. Second, I want to give you a little sneak peek at how the passage ends because we're going to frame, I'm going to frame the sermon around what it says in verse 25. So look at verse 25 where, it's, where it says this, but if we hope for what we do not have yet, we wait for it patiently, is that last phrase especially, we wait for it patiently. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about how to be patient or hopeful or persevere. And really what it's talking about is how to be resilient, because it is a word about perseverance, how to be resilient in suffering. So let's, let's hear our passage uh, being read. Follow along in your Bibles. Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. I consider it that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and the glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. All right, so the question that we're asking is, how do we, how do we persevere through suffering? Or another way that we can ask the question is, how do we have a resilient faith when there's pressure to fold, when there's pressure to just to, to walk away from our faith altogether? And we're going to look at two ways that the Apostle Paul brings out in this passage. And the first one is this, we need to compare our present suffering to our future glory. There's that comparison. We need to compare the two. Um, the key, however, though, is it's not a very helpful thing to compare my present suffering to my future glory if I don't care about that future glory. I mean, and caring about it requires before that understanding what it is. So in a sense, we have to understand what it is and then we have to um, be grasped by it. It has to matter to us. Uh, we have to have that bigger picture that God can bring into our lives. Uh, so, uh, the word glory is one of those words that we return to over and over again because it's really easy to read glory, 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 glory and not really understand what that means uh, in a biblical sense of what it means. So, uh, I want to show you a few moments that capture what glory means in many, many different contexts in Scripture, okay? So these would be analogies. These would be things that help us get a glimpse as to what our future glory is. So this first one is uh, not, somebody said, well, why don't you show the moment that the thing happened that you're gonna, you know, that you're gonna see celebrated. No, no, it's not, that's not the glory. The glory is afterwards, all right? The thing happens and then 
This person is basking in the glory. Let's watch. All right, if you don't know what that harks back to, that's not going to matter to you anyway, so <laughs> I, won't, I won't go on. I'll give you some other examples, okay? That's basking in, in the glory. Here's, here's a, a, another moment of basking in glory, a moment of glory. That's Suni Lee from St. Paul receiving her gold medal, uh, at one of her, or, or the, the gold medal in, in one of the competitions at, um, in the Olympics. All right, so I want you to, to look at this, and I want you to maybe insert the face uh, or insert into this picture a moment of glory in the life of maybe one of your kids, nephews and nieces, or nieces, or um, uh, one of the, your friend's kids, uh, where you've gone to a play where they have practiced and practiced and practiced, and they have performed, and at the end of the performance, they all come out, and you know, and they bow. That is a moment of glory. Or maybe winning a little league game, all right, in baseball, um, or, or maybe a, a, a concert, again, where years of practice have gone in, and then there is the moment of glory where it is finished and everybody is uh, acknowledging what has just taken place. Now, the word glory in Scripture has oftentimes that connotation. It has another connotation as well, taken a little bit of a different direction. Uh, but think of a sunset that you've seen that has absolutely blown you away. I contacted a neighbor of mine. I said, send me the best sunset pictures you have. And, uh, and right out of the back of, of where we live. And this is one of the ones that he sent me. And so um, it's, it's this beauty, this, this just kind of like you look at something, and looking at a picture is one thing, but being there and seeing it, you go, oh, wow. Okay, so now we can put some words to it. What is glory? What, is, what are we talking about when we talk about the glory that we're looking forward to? Glory is a time or is high renown and honor. It's, 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 it's a sense of receiving honor. Um, another meaning that it has, and oftentimes they're tied together because it's why the honor comes, it's just magnificence or beauty. It's seeing something of beauty and magnificence that winds up grabbing us and us wanting to express you know, renown and honor for that thing. Um, so Paul says there is a glory that is going to be revealed in us that is so great. Uh, and most translations, by the way, say for us, and I think they're saying the same thing if you understand what's going on in this context. There's going to be a glory that is going to be revealed that when you compare our present suffering to this eternal glory, it's an unfair comparison. <laughs> and when you realize it's an unfair comparison, it puts our present suffering into some perspective that helps us push through and have a resilient faith. So look at verses 18 through 21 uh, again. I consider that our present sufferings 
are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. And we're going we're gonna to look at what that, uh, uh, just capture a little bit of a sense of what that means. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. The whole creation, Paul says. This is where this picture gets a lot bigger than I think we oftentimes uh, understand what's happening in the gospel and what's happening in, in God's story when you look at it from beginning to the end, that it's bigger than just getting us into heaven, that it's way, way bigger than that. The creation itself is waiting to see humanity freed, to see humanity redeemed, to see humanity uh, receive this glory, to enter into its glory. So what can that possibly mean? Before, before we look at what it means, just a second, um, N.T. Wright gives this as a translation of this passage. Creation itself is on tiptoe with expectation, eagerly awaiting the moment, waiting for humanity to reach its glory, a glory that is it's God's glory shared with us, but it's that moment. And in the meantime, the creation is frustrated. The creation is groaning. All right, this, this, is, this is a really, really powerful image. And what is he talking about? So I want you to imagine something with me to kind of capture what it's talking about. Uh, I got the idea from uh, uh, a pastor who I heard talking on this, and then I'm just taking it and developing it in my own way. But 10 years ago, uh, my favorite band came to the Twin Cities. And it was an epic concert. Uh, Part of what made it such an epic concert was not just the band and the staging and everything. We were talking about it in the green room uh, before coming out here. The staging, the, the amount of work that had to go into that and the amount of money that had to go into just even moving it from city to city was just, uh, just absolutely crazy. But part of what made it such an epic concert is in the middle of the concert, there was a rainstorm and the band kept playing because there was no lightning. And so it was, it, it was like something I'd never really experienced before. And so uh, there was a lot of anticipation for the concert to start and they know how to do an entrance. And so the theme of the uh, concert and the theme of the, the stage is like the space theme. So as the band is walking in, there's a video watching them come in and, you know, a video being taken of them walking in while uh, to the recording of David Bowie singing Major Tom to Ground Control, okay, which is a song I love. And so, and I love big entrances. So I'm videotaping this entrance and I want you to see you know, we're gonna focus on the moment when the lead singer does this to the camera. Okay, let's, let's watch this. All right, you saw, you saw that. There, okay, now I want you to imagine something. This did not happen, okay? Make sure you, this did not happen. But imagine that right after that moment, Bono fell flat on his face, drunk. So the band is ready to rock. Tens of thousands of people. Some people spent the night outside because they had tickets 
to be on the field, and they wanted to be not only on the field, but as far to the front as they could be on the field. So they spent the night there. Everybody's been waiting. And now, tens of thousands of people have to wait for the lead singer to sober up before the concert can begin, if it's going to begin at all. Tens of thousands of people with all the anticipation waiting for the lead singer to sober up. What's going to happen? The whole, once you figure out what's happening, tens of thousands of people are going to be groaning. The band is going to be groaning like, oh, you know, and, and, and everybody's waiting. That's the picture that this passage is giving us of creation. It's like creation is waiting for humanity to sober up. And it's still waiting. It's still waiting for humanity to sober up. Bible story says, we looked at this last week, God creates humanity and it's the pinnacle of his creation. And then he places humanity in charge of the creation to rule over it. It is what we, it's, it's at least the purpose of being made in the image of God and probably the meaning of being made in the image of God is that we are made in the image of God. What does that mean? We are the created beings of the king made in his likeness and we serve on this earth to rule over creation in his stead. That's what we were created for. But we're dead drunk. Genesis 3 happens. So in the garden of, of Eden, it was humanity's moment to shine by ruling over the earth in the way that God called humanity to rule over the earth. But humanity is dead drunk and the creation now has to wait for us to sober up. And it's still, still waiting. So look back at Romans chapter 8, verse 21. We'll start a couple of words before 21. In hope that creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, fully redeemed, fully made whole in a new heaven and a new earth. Everything, everything renewed and restored. That's, that's the gospel story. We're going towards everything being renewed and restored. Not just our salvation, but, the, but a whole new creation. And we'll, um, we'll return to the glory that God intended for us as creation's vice rulers, vice regents, serving on behalf of God, who is the ultimate ruler. And Paul is saying, that is a glorious day to go back to what we were created for, um, that we've been groaning for. That day is coming now. Compare your present and really temporary suffering as bad and as horrible as it can often be. Compare that to an eternity of glory. 
We degrade the gospel when we turn it simply into something that is about getting me saved, getting my loved ones saved, and going to heaven. We degrade the gospel. We shrink it down to our size instead of seeing it the size that it is that God has made it. It includes, it, it is about our personal salvation. And so much more, so much more than just getting into heaven. Now, Paul is one who knows suffering. You might say, well, it's easy maybe for Paul to say, uh, compare my suffering to the future glory. The Apostle Paul knew suffering. Uh, he knew imprisonment and the loneliness that goes through that, with that. He knew epic betrayals of some of the people closest to him. He knew uh, what it's like to go from being a golden boy of his movement to being hated and hunted by the very people that he had grown up with, his family members. He knew what it was like to be beaten to the point, literally physically beaten to the point of death. He knew what it was to have hunger. He knew what it was to be at sea, imagine, in a first century boat, in terrible storms. He knew what it was like to be in a storm that lasted days. He knew what it was like to be shipwrecked. He knew what it was like to be hungry. I mean, you can just go on and on from his own listing of the things that had happened to him and the depiction of it in the book of Acts. So how do we wait resiliently under the pressure to fold? It begins by comparing our present suffering with our future glory. Second, we taste from the hope that we've been given. We taste from it. Uh, look at Romans 8, 22 through 24 for a moment. And we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, this is important, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have. Now, I want you to look at that phrase in verse 24 for a moment. It says, uh, um, for this hope we were saved. For this hope we were saved. Okay, so a few weeks ago, when we were looking at Romans 5, uh, I, I made a, a point. I said that if you enter into suffering with a hopeless faith, suffering will kill your hopeless faith. You're not going to have a resilient. Uh, by, by hopeless suffering, I defined it. I'll define it again. It means a faith that is focused on kind of like, what are the benefits of following Jesus right now? That's the focus. Like, this is it. Well, the problem with that is that the Bible tells us we will suffer. We will suffer greatly. And so, if your faith is built on all the benefits I'm going to get now, that is a, from a biblical standpoint, a hopeless faith. That is not equipped to withstand suffering. It, it's, it can't endure. It's not a resilient faith. It's not a faith at all, not a biblical faith at all. Biblical faith is focused on future glory while enduring present suffering. It has a goal. It has this bigger goal that God has given us, this bigger picture, this bigger vision. But here's the thing. It's hard to wait. 
It's like the suffering is so immediate. It's right now. But, but you know, God is always talking about when Jesus returns. And uh, it's been about 2,000 years. We're still waiting. All right? And so, uh, you know, in our own lifetime, it might be an entire lifetime, again, of waiting and it not coming. So it's a long time. A lifetime, when you're living it, can be a long time, especially when you're suffering. Uh, but that's why it's so important. It's not developed in this passage, but it is throughout Scripture. Uh, it's only hinted at. This is where the first fruits metaphor is so, so important. Again, verse 23, not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. The Spirit that we have fellowship with now is the first fruit of something much greater. So it's a harvesting metaphor. You've planted your seed, now the harvest has come and the first fruit have come and you go and you enjoy the first fruit. We get to enjoy the first fruit. There is a future to our relationship with God that is gonna far outshine what we're experiencing now. We only have the first fruit of it, only the first fruit. And when Jesus came and he brought the kingdom of God, it, 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 he, he said, I am bringing the kingdom. What did we get? We got a glimpse. We got glimpses of what happens when God rules on earth as he does in heaven, as he healed people, as he fed people, as he raised people from the dead. We got glimpses of what was coming, but it was only a glimpse of it. It was a, an experience of the first fruit of it. But we do have right now, we have uh, an experience and reality and a status that we can enjoy with God. We have that now. We have that. We have a taste. It's only a taste, but it is a taste. We get to taste it, and the taste is incredible. So we're not just waiting patiently. We're tasting it in all kinds of ways. We need to taste it. So what would that look like to taste it? Well, when we take time daily to read the Bible, to reflect uh, on the Bible, to pray, we're getting ta a taste of our future perfect communion that we're going to have with God in his kingdom, when his kingdom comes in fullness. So when we stop to read scripture, we need to read it like that, intentionally, is recognizing I am experiencing right now the First fruits, God is communicating with me in his word. I'm, I'm listening to him and I'm speaking with him in prayer. It, it falls short in so many ways. It's a struggle. It's difficult. I've got all these thoughts coming in my mind. But stop and think about it. This is what I'm experiencing right now. We need to go forward kind of intentionally, consciously doing that. So uh, in the morning, oftentimes, whatever I'm eating for breakfast, I've got my, my breakfast there, and I am, I've got my phone, and I'm going through my news feed um, or one of my favorite sites, news feeds or whatever, and I'm going through those and uh, reading articles and stuff like that while I'm eating. That's different than when I go to a favorite restaurant, or let's not say a favorite restaurant. When I eat one of my favorite meals, that I only eat once a year. Okay, so we eat a pretty traditional Cuban Christmas Eve meal every year. I used to, once we started that tradition as a, as a husband and wife, 
And for years, like for decades, I used to get shaky when that meal was coming. Uh, I mean, I would get nervous uh, be, because the meal is coming and it's going to be so good and I'm so looking forward to it, almost, almost to the point of ruining it. Um, I, I said, I think last night to someone, I don't know if I said it in the sermon, but it was like 90% of the enjoyment is looking forward to it. And when I start, part of the reason I get nervous is because I know it's going to end soon. <laughs> okay, so, so I'm like nervous about this great meal. Okay, I'm not reading a news feed. First of all, I'm surrounded by people, so that would be rude. Uh, but even if I wasn't, if I were eating that meal alone, I'm not going to be looking at a news feed. I'm going to be savoring that meal. You might like music in the background while you're working or studying or whatever. Uh, there's a difference between having music in the background and sharing like a new song that you've listened to several times from your favorite band with one of your friends. And you're pointing out various nuances that they're not going to get their first time listening to it, or if they don't have an appreciation for the band, they're not going to get that. And so if you have some music interests, you, know, you can relate to this. You know, you're, you're doing that in a different way than when you've just got music in the background. Now, what I'm suggesting is tasting means doing that with everything in our life. Stopping and thinking about, at some point, about everything that we do in life. So, here's some other examples. There's a day coming when our relationships are going to be pure and love will be perfect. And we can taste now what that's going to be like by savoring and enjoying and prioritizing our friendships and our families. We get a taste of that. That's one thing to enjoy, being with your family. Um, it's another thing to worship your family. Like, worship, like, this is the end all. It's not the end all. It is a taste of something that's even greater. It's a taste. And seeing it in that light. Not getting all so involved in it that we lose sight of God in eternity. But to be able to fully enjoy it but recognizing it's a taste of what God has in store for us. Here's another example. The new heaven and the new earth will be given work to do that's going to be fulfilling and enjoyable. I listed those passages last week. We're not going to be sitting around playing harps. We're going to be ruling over creation. We're going to get back to what we were supposed to be. It's going to be fulfilling. It's going to be enjoyable. One of the things that we can do now is experience the joy of doing our work now for the Lord and for His glory. You say, my job is tedious. You know, if you do your tedious job well for the Lord, conscious of that, He takes joy in that. The Scripture shows that over and over. He takes joy in you doing your tedious work well because you're doing it for Him. The day is coming when no work will be tedious. But there will be work, lots of work to do. But this is, this is an opportunity now to get a taste of it. If we'll be conscious, if we'll just, just stop for a minute, think about it. The church, God's people, will be presented as the bride of Christ. Now we get a taste. We can value, prioritize fellowship with other believers now. With all the ins and outs and difficulties and pressures and and um, disappointments that come with that. There are times 
Like if we let the disappointments overwhelm us and we pull out of it altogether, we will never experience also those moments where we get a taste of what it will be to live together for eternity, bringing glory to God as we do the work that God has called us to do. So we've covered a lot of ground in this, in this sermon. Um, how do we wait patiently? We have to compare and we have to taste. Compare and taste. Look forward, enjoy it now in light of what is coming. Now I want you to look at this picture here. It says at the top what it is, otherwise it's a big blur because <laughs> it's a screenshot, a screenshot of a video. It's Suni Lee's family who we saw earlier uh, when she gets her gold medal win. Now, uh, if you've been around the Twin Cities for a while, you know that uh, when um, the Hmong population was being settled here out of refugee camps and other type of situations were being settled in this area, as well as some other areas, but a lot in this area. Like every, ref, uh, like every immigrant, immigrant group, when they arrived, it didn't take long for their kids to get into all kinds of trouble. And they were being ravished by uh, drugs and gangs and all that kind of a thing. And it was hard for them to get their feet under them, just like every other immigrant group. But, can you, but they've turned it around. They've turned it around. They, um, their kids are, you know, as you look at it globally, doing well, and they are become leaders within their communities and all of that. Now imagine someone from now attending that party and going back to, you know, however many years ago it, it was that that community was settling here and saying, I've come from the future. <laughs> And I, I have great news. Uh, you're going to turn it around. It's going to get turned around. And I just came from a celebration where one of your children is going to receive a gold medal for the United States. Can you imagine it? And be able to convince them, you know, uh, that, that it's true. We have that. We have that. We, we have someone, God, who has told us and given us a vision of, of the future, of the glory of the future. It should fill us with hope, and we should taste right now from what we have. So let's hear the passage. Let's hear the passage one more time, beginning in verse 18. Paul says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage and decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they have already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this incredible hope that you've given us. 
a hope of future glory, and not just glory for us, for what can happen for the entire creation, and how that brings glory to you, and how any glory we have is just a glory that you've shared with us. It's hard to grasp, it's hard to even taste of it sometimes because the suffering is so great. Sometimes our minds aren't even working well enough to grasp what you have in store for us. But I pray, Father, that you would, that you would loosen our minds, and give us understanding, and give us, give us a vision of what it is that you are up to in our world and what can be our part in bringing glimpses of what's coming as we serve uh, each other, as we serve people in our world, as we seek uh, to right what is wrong, as we bring your love into everything that we do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.